Up now, a podcast about taking action. In Molotov Now, we analyze and discuss news articles and stories of resistance from around the globe and connect them to our struggles here at home in Aberdeen, Washington. In the spirit of building solidarity between the rural and the urban, we hope to inspire direct action in the face of oppression and to light a fire to find each other in the darkness. This is Sprout. And this is Sherry Ann, and we are the hosts of Molotov Now. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the podcast. The format of this show will be a little different from our usual format. We have had to make some sacrifices here at Molotov Now, as the entire Sabo Media crew has been busy planning our contribution to the local third annual May Day on the Harbor here in Grays Harbor. We will be foregoing the normal news section this time in favor of an interview with a special guest. Don't worry, we still have our Radical News headlines round up for you next, right after this brief message from our sponsor. So, you've decided to ditch your boss and become the master of your own destiny by sharing your skills and talents on your own terms. But unfortunately, we're all still suffering under capitalism, I need to deal with the social construct of U.S. currency to pay the bills. And fucking taxes. You are punk rock. And finances are not. But keeping track of the vegan cheddar coming into and going out of your business, collective, co-op, or nonprofit is important to make informed decisions and minimize the effects this bullshit system has over them. You have important shit to do, so let us deal with the money nonsense. Because we happen to find spreadsheets and data bitching in their own special way. Judge us. I dare you. Blackflower Bookkeeping is here with sliding scale solutions for your unique needs and plans for the future. We believe that these services should be accessible to all folks, even your anti-capitalist ass. So whether you play music, brew java, sell feet pics, or make literal vegan cheddar, we can help without making your broke-ass broker. So get off your kilted leftist keister and seize your own means. Schedule a free consultation to see if Black Flower Bookkeeping has what it takes to help you make your self-sufficient anarcho-commie dreams a reality. Let us manage the back end of your business so you can get back to shaking your back end business on OnlyFans. Oh, and your partnership with Black Flower Bookkeeping supports the Black Flower Collective and its many radical programs. Oh, fuck, the fucking cats are back. Cat Wranglers, please contact us now at blackflowerbookkeeping at protonmail.com. We need you as much as you need us. Welcome back to Molotov Now. We're joined now by an organizer of the Dual Power Gathering West. Will you introduce yourself, please? Yeah, for sure. Hi, my name is Ben, he, him. 
I am out in Shoshone Bannock and Paiute land, also known as so-called Idaho. Uh, I've been a member of Boise Mutual Aid and a couple other groups uh, help out a lot of unhoused people, fixing up bicycles. That's kind of my main uh, shtick. And yeah, just doing some organizing, trying to do some regional stuff and connect groups together and figure out how like we um, that are doing boots on the groundwork can connect better which is part of the reason why I wanted to be part of this organizing here. Yeah, it sounds like it's a pretty good chance to network with some regional folks. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about the plans for the gathering? Yeah, <laughs> plans is a little bit funny because um, it is an unconference, uh, an unconference model. And that means that the participants who come will help co-create this event with us. I really like the phrase, Alone, we know a little. Together, we know a lot. And I think it's a little bit presumptuous for us to think like this is the things that people want to talk about. Here's the people they want to listen to. Um, so we'll kind of let people co-create that together at, at the event. Um, yeah. So the way that it was done last year is we had a big board that had a bunch of campsites that people could uh, have events at. And then we had a bunch of time slots open. And then people kind of put in um, different events that they thought would be cool. Um, people that had ideas to host similar things would like co-collaborate um, and, and do a, a little bit of a panel, open discussion on the things that they were most interested in. Um, yeah, so, so this there was things right. First year for the event. That's a little tricky question, I guess. There was a national dual power gathering that happened last year, um, and that happened. Uh, around the Chicago land, so-called Chicago area. And yeah, we were inspired, uh, some of the folks that went to that, to set up our own. So we made a regional, more regional. Uh, it's still pretty big. It's Rocky Mountains to the West Coast. Um, but we thought that focusing a little bit on the regions and having more uh, connections of people from the similar areas would help make the event more connecting and, and more of a network opportunity. And yeah, we are hoping that a national one happens again too like we think that's really rad um and we think that and we're hoping that like smaller regions break out like i know california is a huge thing and their state has a lot of stuff going on the rocky mountain people that i've talked to so far um are interested in doing one like that pacific northwest is uh kind of its own thing too um so yeah we're hoping autonomously and separately um moving together but not forcing step or anything uh that people will create more events and, and, and connect more that's awesome. Yeah, I really like the regional model too. Um, so for our listeners who might not know, can you tell us a little bit about what dual power is? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I looked this up recently as some more of the history and it's got more history than I, uh, I, I knew. Um, I'm not going to get into the weeds about that. My understanding of dual power, uh, the one that I like is, uh, I really like the phrase building the new in the shell of the old. And the idea is like, if the government, like if we snapped our fingers, it disappeared right now, we would still need systems of a sort in place to take care of one another and to make sure that things still function, people get fed, medical care is still there, um, taking care of people's like uh, social uh, emotional needs. And um, yeah, right now, a lot of those systems aren't in place. And if we can make those happen here and now, ways that we can relate to each other, that through transformative justice and accountability. And, and so we, we make a separate system from like the police system, uh, the justice quote unquote system. Um, that would be good if we can make systems of food and we can make systems of medical care and uh, child care and all of these things here and now 
um, that will aid in making uh, growing the new in the shell of the old. So it eventually will overcome and outgrow that old and shake it off. And so we can have a more liberated new world um, that is less constrained. Yeah, that sounds like a prefigurator of politics that's sort of building the power that we need in communities outside of the state. Yeah, I've uh, I've personally taken prefigurator politics and dual power to mean pretty much one and the same thing. Dual power kind of looking at like a separate power from the state uh, and then prefigurative meaning like we need to make the systems we want to see in the future here and now. Um, and yeah, those dovetail almost so seamlessly. I kind of see them as the same thing. But yeah, I love it. So when and where do you think we could see these discussions being taken place this year? Yeah, uh, for this event, Dual Power Gathering West, um, it will be happening June 2nd through 4th. Um, It will be happening an hour or so outside of Portland in a campground area. Um, We're being a little bit tight on what exactly the location is for InfoSec reasons, information security for people who don't know. But if you RSVP, we will be sending updates as to where it is exactly. Um, But we want to let people know at least where the region is so they can set up plane tickets or travel plans uh, and figure that out. And yeah, there's things in the work for like a shuttle system from Portland to the place uh, from some local activists. uh, And we will have food taken care of, too, which will be pretty rad. And you said that that. people can RSVP. Uh, Where can they do that? Yeah, they can RSVP at... At we have a website dualpowerwest.org. Um, yeah, and there's a bunch of info there. There is an open collective website where you can RSVP, make some donations because it costs money to get the campgrounds and buy food, and uh, a lot of the logistics of this uh, are costing some money. Um, we're not taking any money except for just to pay for the the things that people will be using. Uh, we're not getting paid as organizers. We just like this stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. So it's donation-based? It is donation-based. And if you have any accessibility concerns on top of that, if you don't think that you have the money to be able to travel there, or if you want to try to talk to us to figure out some carpools, or if you are in a wheelchair, or if you need sign language, um, please let us know. We will accommodate everyone that wants to come. Uh, We will make sure that everyone is given the resources they need to to make this event work well for them and for them to feel comfortable and accepted there yeah all that sounds awesome so since we're in the wait to find out where you'll be hosting the event this year is there anything that our listeners should be expecting to bring or prepare for the location yeah i don't know if i've said it super explicitly at this point but um the plan it's going to be outdoors it's going to be in camping and that it we thought like is both more accessible for people that have uh like immune compromised or other disabilities and also we feel it's a more freeing space uh it's a more liberated space you're able to manipulate it more and also some of the organizers including me we're hippies and we like being outdoors and swimming in a river in june in some beautiful uh nature land sounds really great so planning to bring yeah like a tent and some sleeping bag uh and sleeping pad those are always good to have uh we will have water and food available there to take care of that you can bring your own if you like uh it should be very accessible food Uh, vegan gluten-free is what we're going to be doing and if you don't have camping supplies if you don't have the ability to do that you can also stay in portland 
it, as I, as we said, it's not very far away from Portland. It's under an hour of travel time there, and you can take public transportation almost the whole way. Um, some good people out there are working on making a, a shuttle system to finish off any distances that need to be there. And if that is still inaccessible for you, um, monetarily wise or distance, you can't travel, let us know. Uh, as I said before, we would love to help you and we want to make this as accessible to everyone as possible. The campground, it does have ADA compliance for the bathrooms and campgrounds. So there will be spots for people that need that sort of um, accommodations there. <laughs> I don't know if I'm talking about too much about accommodations, but we spent a lot of time discussing it. And it, it's very important to us that this is accessible to as many people as possible. No, that is, yeah, that is important. All right. So June 2nd to the 4th, about an hour outside of Portland, everyone should plan to be there and bring your skills, bring uh, your knowledge to share with others, uh, because this is an unconference model. We're going to be making it ourselves. Hell yeah. Well, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you. We're excited about this gathering and we hope to see you there. I will definitely see you there. I'm so excited. And thanks so much for having me on. Next up, our radical news roundup from other autonomous media organizations that we follow. Unicorn Riot is a decentralized educational 501c3 nonprofit media organization of journalists. Unicorn Riot engages and amplifies the stories of social and environmental struggles from the ground up. They seek to enrich the public by transforming the narrative with accessible and non-commercial independent content. You can find the following articles on their website at unicornriot.ninja. April 3rd, the French people battle pension reforms in Paris. April 4th, Marvin Haynes' family and supporters demand his release from prison. April 6th, police accountability leaders discuss human rights Minneapolis policing agreement. April 7th, Cop City receives brief stop work order. April 8th, it was a crime, not an accident. The deadly Greek train crash sparks justice movement. April 9th, Akron Grand Jury set for next week to hear case of police killing Jalen Walker. April 12th, missing Minneapolis indigenous woman Alexis White Hawk Ruiz has been found deceased. April 13th, Marielle Presente, March Marks Feminist Struggles in Brazil. April 16th, Colorful Neighborhood in Gaza celebrates Ramadan with vibrant colors. April 18th, Exclusive Interview with French Media Collective Cerveau Non Disponibles. April 19th, Christian Gives Water Dates to Fasting Muslims in Gaza During Ramadan. April 20th, Minnesota Driver's License for All Bill, a National Model for Data Privacy Protections, Advocates Say. April 21st, no gunpowder residue found on Manuel Tortaguita, Tehran, according to DeKalb County Autopsy. April 24th, killer killer cop Kim Potter hurriedly released after 16 months in prison. April 24th, the case of Marvin Haynes, part four, the trials of Marvin Haynes. And April 25th, looking beyond the rubble, aiding the Kurds after the Syria-Turkey earthquake. It's going down, and you're invited what they sell it we ain't buying there is no running there is no hiding there's only fighting or dying
It's going down as a digital community center for anarchist, anti-fascist, autonomous, anti-capitalist, and anti-colonial movements across so-called North America. Their mission is to provide a resilient platform to publicize and promote revolutionary theory and action. You can find the following articles on their website at itsgoingdown.org. April 1st, Mexico. Resistance and repression in the Isthmus of Tehuantepec. April 2nd, in contempt number 27, judge rejects Mumia's attempt at new trial, repression of pro-choice activists in Florida. April 2nd, 2023, Earth First, the gathering July 1st through the 9th, occupied Abenaki territory. April 2nd, extreme right-wing political agenda aims to crush pro-choice activism in Florida. April 3rd, letter from anarchist prisoner Jorge York Esquivel. April 4th, report back on community self-defense action in St. Catherine. April 4th, notes on mutual aid, a local history of survival and struggle. April 5th, new day and times for It's Going Down on Pacifica Radio. April 5th, one person killed and two members of Reno Food Not Bombs hospitalized after vehicle attack. April 5th, Canadian Tire Fire number 57, RCMP raid on Gidimton Checkpoint, safe third country loophole closed. Queer and Trans Community Defense. April 6th, Another Carolina Anarchist Book Fair. August 11th through 13th, Asheville, North Carolina. April 6th, Report Back 2023 Houston Anarchist Book Fair. April 7th, Burgerville fires IWW shop steward as new contract draws near. Union vows we will escalate. April 9th, Seattle Solidarity Network issues demand delivery against wage theft and worker abuse at Royal India Restaurants. April 11th, This is America, number 185, Bashback Returns, Why Elites Like Trump Don't Go to Jail. April 11th, Art and Anarchy Against the Settler State, The Blue Agave Revolution, New and Original Work from Indigenous Anarchist Political Prisoner, Oso Blanco. April 11th, No Pardon for Genocide, Rejecting the Catholic Church's Repudiation of the Doctrine of Discovery. April 11th. Action in solidarity with striking post-Gazette workers in Pittsburgh. April 13th, Surveillance Bulletin Number 1. April 14th, Neither Condemned Nor Persecuted, Calls for Action with Miguel Peralta. April 17th, June 11th, 2023, Against Oblivion, Against Despair. April 17th, This Week in Fascism, Number 133, Communities Push Back Against Neo-Nazis and Proud Boys. Campuses Protest Anti-Trans Grifters. Richard Spencer rides again. April 18th, A Childhood Without Cops. Brooklyn community gathers on squatted lot in solidarity with fight to stop Cop City. April 19th, New zines by North Carolina prisoners available for distro. April 19th, Report from Tijuana, Building Autonomous Mutual Aid as the Border Continues to Militarize. April 20th, In Defense of the Pinelands, Jersey anarchists tackle dumping problem in so-called South Jersey. April 20th, Snitch Susie Savoy swarmed and deplatformed in Southern Oregon. April 20th, cities across the U.S. are mobilizing to honor Tortiquita's birthday and stop Cop City. April 22nd, Proud Boys and Neo-Nazis chased from another drag story hour in Sacramento. April 21st, These Queers Bash Back, Pittsburgh anarchists organize in response to transphobic hate. April 24th, Hamilton, Reflections on Ongoing Hunger Strike in Barton Jail. April 24th, Final Straw. Pro-choice activists face 12 years for graffiti. April 24th, Canadian Tire Fire number 58. Street sweeps in Vancouver. Coastal Gaslink and RBC developments. Prisoners on hunger strike. Crime thought is everything that evades control. 
CrimeThink is a rebel alliance. CrimeThink is a banner for anonymous collective action. CrimeThink is an international network of aspiring revolutionaries. CrimeThink is a desperate venture. Check out these articles at CrimeThink.com. April 6th, a message to Scottsdale, Arizona, regarding the construction of Cop City in Atlanta, Georgia. April 15th, steal something from Workday 2023. Take matters into your own hands. And April 20th, Atlanta police and Georgia State Patrol are guilty of murder, the evidence and the motive. We're getting the cue that it's time for a short break. When we return, we'll be meeting with one of the defendants from Queer Satanic to discuss their ongoing lawsuits with the Satanic Temple. In the meantime, here is a snippet from the playlist Red Lung from the Ransom Notes podcast. Hit it! Let's just take it, it just, other people's it. work mm-hmm. and put it in this podcast, mm-hmm. and that's our episode. Yeah, well, we're trying to. We're trying to. Good morning, class. Good morning, Miss Smith. Today we have a very special guest. But before we begin, let's all stand up and recite the Pledge of Allegiance. So take your right hand and place it on top of your heart. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Hi, kids. Do you like violence? Want to see me bomb a country but the world stares in silence? Uh-huh. Topple democracy, lead the people divided? Yeah, yeah. Commit war crimes and never get indicted? Uh-huh. Got the corporate profits popping, every bomb dropping. Your daddy working at Boeing, getting that stock option. Pay for your big house and private school fees. Destabilizing nations made your life so sweet. Walmart, Wall Street, build a wall, got to keep all the refugees out, kids, we lock them up. And if some of them die, well, it's all in God's plan. Don't think about those kids at the border camps. Just keep on saying. I pledge Take your vitamins, listen what the pastor says, be a good American. Make sure you tell Uncle Sam if mom and daddy did a bad thing. Put on a big smile. (laughs) Good children don't question the authorities. They conform, stay quiet, and pledge loyalty. Wolves at the cage, bulls on parade. It's a party in the USA. Okay, kids, now tell me who's a patriot? Me, me, me! Yeah, you really love your country? Uh-huh. Would you die for it? Do war crimes for it? Yeah! Had a boy, Timmy, now yeah, let, let me, me hear, hear it once more. more. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the 
We in the river early morning doing shit they try to kill Singing songs of our resistance when they hit we fire at will I'm descending from the graves inside a cave beside the hill Where the thunderbird still lives I'm with this shit that's why it's real I ain't worried about the lies but I would not defy these mountains In my veins the blood of warriors they kept locked inside the house Until it was time to die They wasn't worried what the outcome was Skilled in the art of war before mouth say tongue Tell them bring out their guns exclaim ain't afraid of that We got prayers sing underwater for the dead that's how we bring them back I went from slanging, cracking, banging back to ancient lands Where sacredness was woven in the same place Love and hate began at the beginning of the river Where the water meets the sand Where the killers die with honor So they walk beneath the land And they get brought to be again With memories of past life Where today they ain't needed So they take needles or a glass pipe But that's life Y'all act like y'all ain't knowing no Hate them while they doing dope But love them when they overdose I ain't tripping, it's the mission that they wanted for us And they don't want us, cause today they don't honor what It's apparent no where my heritage stands I burn American flags for people deep inside this terrorist state We born as hostages But now we on some monster shit Where the God fill us is Godzilla To that metropolis and all their cities Show no pity to these occupiers I'm cocking iron on tyrants who wanna watch us dying I'm not complying by their rules Because I choose shooting guns and colonizers Till they all on fire oozing blood What do you become? Only what they made me to Ain't nobody paying my rent So maybe I'ma make a move I hate to do what I need to do But I ain't a fool Like Uncle Steven 82 Then I'ma take it to him I Welcome back to Molotov Now. We have, for some time, been sharing the news from our comrades at Queer Satanic about their legal troubles and the fight they are having in the courts with the Satanic Temple. We have published a few things by them as well on our website, sabomedia.noblogs.org. This included a recent piece entitled, How to Spot When You're in a Cult. Today we will be examining this article and talking about it with the author, David, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a bit about this lawsuit you've been fighting for the last few years? Yeah, uh, my name is David Johnson. Uh, My pronouns are he, him. Uh, I am uh, one of the four people that the Satanic Temple has been suing for more than three years now. And uh, in that time, we have become known as Queer Satanic. So we are not an organization. We're not really even a group. We're just four people that are being sued. But, you know, you get sued for three years uh, and you you try to talk about it somewhat regularly. Um, you do, I guess, create a brand. And our brand is that, yeah, we're we're still being sued by the Satanic Temple in federal court. Uh, and as of uh, this month, as of April, uh, we're also being sued in uh, King County District Court. Because in the U.S. legal system, uh, you're allowed to basically just file all the lawsuits that you want as long as you have money. And uh, it will cost about $10,000 to reply to any lawsuit. And that makes them pretty effective threats. Yeah, the slap suit. Yeah, I got to say, I love you guys' social media when you put out a post on something, anything, and there's always that little ending. Oh, by the way, we're still being sued by the Satanic Temple. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like <laughs> what's wild um, is that, of course, we've had to add to it because um, not only are they they suing us, like I, I think we would say for the longest time, 
Moreover, we're still being sued by the Satanic Temple in federal court. Check the pen post for more because Facebook really hates any kind of like uh, money or mutual aid posts. So we link to our GoFundMe and, you know, Facebook throttles it. So we just say check the the um, the pen post. But as of right now, it says, moreover, we're still being sued by the Satanic Temple in federal appellate court and now King County Superior Court. TST is also suing Newsweek and its reporter but maybe not her anymore for writing about us. In addition, the temple is now suing a TikToker in Texas for talking about our case. Um, because uh, back in October of 2021, Newsweek wrote an article about us and TST suing us. TST sued Newsweek and the reporter as an individual for libel. Um, and as of about two months ago, thankfully, uh, the reporter was able to get out of the lawsuits. And there's only, I think, two of the claims out of like 16 are remaining um, for that, like that lawsuit against Newsweek. And then they're also, just playing whack-a-mole slap suits. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then also because they sued the the woman who made TikToks, um, they forced her to record a retraction or they were going to sue her. She recorded the retraction and they sued her anyway. And unfortunately, um, both those things have been pretty effective at um, making people afraid, making people afraid to speak out because even though it's a bogus lawsuit, all basically all three of these four, I guess, if you count the two against us, are bogus lawsuits. Um, but the U.S. legal system operates on an assumption of good faith, and that that assumption of good faith means that you can just make up bullshit. And for the first part of the lawsuit, the court treats those claims as true. By the time you get to actually like proving the merits of a claim, usually that's like closer to the trial, um, and that will be many tens of thousands of dollars that that most people don't have or don't want to spend. So, unfortunately, um, even though Satanists uh, tend to behave as a subculture, as if we are a really rebellious group and that we want to like fight authority and whatnot, um, but the aesthetics of rebellion and the practice of rebellion are, are two different things. And um, there just haven't been enough people speaking up about this. Uh, I understand because they've gotten lawsuit threats, because um, it is really, really uh, shitty to be sued for years and have a national organization uh, pay someone to stalk you online and um, come after uh, your, your romantic partners, come after your friends, um, you know, threaten them. Um, That does suck. Uh, But I don't know what else to do except fight against people that are hurting people. Um, And, and so it will probably be another two years before the, Appeals process is over, um, many more tens of thousands of dollars. But um, I don't know if if you don't fight against people when they are doing harm to others, um, they're just going to keep doing it. And I don't know if we'll win or not. I don't know if we'll be able to have enough money to see this through to the end. Uh, but I know we have to fight as long as we can. And um, that's what we've been doing. So how did this all start with the Satanic Temple? Yeah, I so I used to be myself and uh, uh, three co-defendants. We were members of the local uh, chapter based out of Seattle and then also uh, the South Sound area. Um, one of my co-defendants uh, was one of the founding members back in 2014. Uh, myself and others joined uh, in the meantime. Um, and, you know, like the local group didn't seem to have a lot of the red flags about like a an abusive hierarchical organization. Like there were like committees and people voted on things. Um, but then in 
early 2020 um thing like it was late 2019 and early 2020 things seemed to change there was like someone else who came back in and uh they said as a as a chapter head and media liaison these are two positions uh they have full control over like all membership decisions and so they could like kick people out um without any like vote or discussion or whatever uh and that was shitty um and then also uh there was someone who had been a member in years past uh, and was upset because uh, they had been sexually harassed by another member uh, months had gone by. It wasn't addressed. They ended up leaving the chapter. Uh, and yet the local group kept using this person's image to promote themselves. Um, we thought myself, um, the committee that I was on that was responsible for like um, member relations, like taking care of people that are in the local org um, recommended that we apologize to this person for continuing to use their um, image after they had asked us to stop and had like been out for a couple of years. Uh, and the two people that were in charge, uh, we found out, they said that they had nothing to apologize for and that it was like divisive to even suggest this and um, ended up kicking uh, the four of us out and also some other people. And I had been the social media admin of facebook and, and a couple other things and after i had been kicked out no one had uh spoken to me to actually like say this i just like couldn't get into the discord anymore i was still an admin on facebook that basically means you have the highest amount of power you can have on a facebook page and i removed the other admins and moderators and posted about things that the satanic temple had done nationally to other people because in the week that between me getting removed and um and posting about it I had a lot of people that like told me about just horror stories that I wasn't aware of previously. We found out that not only was uh, the owner someone who had once gone on an anti-Semitic rant about how it's okay to hate Jews if you hate them because they're religious Jews. He also like had repeatedly defended neo-Nazis. Uh, he had said that like you shouldn't punch fascists. You should uh, mock them rhetorically. Actually, anti-fascists are the really big threat. And then just a bunch of people in 2018 who had left had also had their own experiences they had talked about. And I shared those, shared news articles about it. And um, yeah, uh, they didn't like that. They didn't like the <laughs> fact people were learning about things they had said and done in the past. No, poor them. Poor them, right. Through, uh, their, own, through their own social media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was uh, from a, uh, a Facebook page for the uh, TST um, Washington State chapter um, that we I, I renamed it, uh, changed the logo, um, and then they made it clear like this is this is like not TST posting this. This is like someone else who had been in the group, okay. uh, and uh, you know, it was like here are things that you should know. And uh, their lawyer sent a, a legal threat about it. But I, I mean, for anybody that runs a Facebook page. I think you you understand that you don't own a Facebook page. Facebook owns Facebook pages. Um, they control everything that's on it. Like they can shut down your reach if they want to. They can delete your page. They can remove photos and posts. Like Facebook.com owns Facebook pages. Meta owns Facebook pages. And their lawyer sent a legal threat that said that it was their property, which is just like not true. And uh, and so like I ignored it um, and they ended up suing us basically on a, a bogus lawsuit where they also claim defamation and eventually uh, claim cyber crimes and stuff. Um, like they claim, they claimed hacking, which is very weird uh, because they said that I had exceeded authority 
But like, then they also claimed that there was like a cybercrime of hacking, which is wild. They said that like posting what is now the logo of a, a three arrows um, with a, a pentacle on top, um, that it falsely associated them with extremism by making people think that they were anti-fascist. Um, <laughs> wild. Yeah, <laughs> You guys are the satanic temple. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and so like, um, it was, it was a bogus suit. Um, it was, it was dismissed the first time in February. So this is, this starts in April of 2020. They were able to submit a Facebook ticket and just got adminship handed back to them in May of 2020. So since May of 2020, they had had that old chapter page. They had removed all the criticism of it, but they kept suing us. And we thought they might let it end in February 2021 when it was dismissed the first time from federal court, but it was not dismissed with prejudice. Only the defamation claims were dismissed with prejudice. So they refiled a bunch of more stuff. They tried to appeal the defamation and then lost. So they lost that in April 2022. They got most of the case dismissed again again, April 2022 and then missed a deadline to refile more of it. And so we got the case dismissed from federal court a second time, a final time in January of 2023. And in response to that, TSD didn't let it stop. Like, again, they've had the Facebook page they say they've wanted since May of 2020, but they have continued the lawsuit and they appealed it to the Ninth Circuit. And they also filed a new lawsuit after the deadline, the statute of limitations in, in state court. So there are two lawsuits against us. And you mentioned slap suit. That is a strategic lawsuit against public participation. Uh, and what that means is that they don't really expect to win on the merits because they've lost all of the questions, all the claims so far they've lost and lost and lost, but they've made us spend about $120,000 now over three years, which fucking sucks. <laughs> I, I, uh, I used to have money. I used to have savings. I don't have money or savings anymore. I took out a $10,000 loan to pay some of the legal bills um, about halfway through paying that back. And, we, and we, we've gotten a lot of support from people, we've gotten about uh, $30,000, I think, donated from people, which has been incredible. But, you know, it's it's still $120,000, even with that 30000 is this not money we had laying around. And uh, it's been it's been rough. Now, is there any way to recoup those costs at the end of all this or no? Um, probably not. I mean, the, the thing is, they that's have just how the court system works. That's how the court system works. Right. <laughs> we, we might be able to get some money back for the new lawsuit they filed in state court because they're appealing based on the idea that they can relitigate all this in district court. They want the Ninth Circuit appeals court to kick it back down to district court so they can redo the whole thing over again, which means that the same claims they're pursuing in state court, they want to be able to pursue in federal court. That seems to not be okay. In addition, uh, they missed their three-year window. Like they could have, they just filed their appeal in state court in like March of 2023, probably would have been fine, uh, but they they missed their deadline. So for two reasons, it's like doubly bad. And they're also saying that <laughs> a different, so there's, a, there's also another Facebook page that had about 300 followers. Uh, TST had taken that from a friends of group um, when they kicked them out and that has grown now to about 25,000 followers. That's evergreen memes for queer Hispanic fans. Back in March, the local people said, yeah, that's fine. You can have that, that Facebook page. They said it in an email. They said it on video. We have evidence of that. And TST is still pursuing that, even though they've been informed since last June that they 
already relinquished any claim to that. Um, these are things they might get in trouble for. But like you said, the courts just kind of like assume people are acting in good faith, assume that everybody that's involved has the same amount of money, um, which is not true. Um, and for us to like countersue them for actual defamation they've done, we would need either a lawyer who was willing to work on contingency, um, which we just haven't been able to find yet. I mean, they could be out there. If someone is listening to this and going, you know, I would love uh, to help y'all uh, countersue because they accused one of your members of domestic violence uh, and edited his face into uh, the video. But actually, it was a completely unrelated person with a similar name. That's defamation. That's pretty straightforward. But we have to have a lawyer who can actually do that for us. Um, or we need another $100,000 um, just to pursue that lawsuit. And since we're not rich, since we're not people of wealth, we're not landlords, we can't really do that. So that's that's where we're at. Yeah, that was brutal. Yeah. Have you okay. noticed any sort of a Streisand effect from this, from them trying to cover it up so hard? Um, to some degree, I guess. Um, we have definitely noticed that there are people who just because of the fact they've been suing us and we have... So for, for the first year of the lawsuit, before it was dismissed, we were facing a claim of defamation um, and also just thought like maybe if we get it like dismissed, they'll just let it go. So we were pretty quiet about stuff. But once they continued to sue us and pursue a Facebook page they had had for almost a year, it became clear that we needed to like be louder. Um, and we've definitely been able to inform a lot more people about it. I think the the YouTuber Illuminati, the one who does like anti MLM videos and whatnot. Um, when she covered it, that got a lot of attention. Different like abortion funds who are actually doing the work have tried to warn people. We have been able to get a lot more of the word out about it. But I would just say that compared to the number of people who seem to think that they do good stuff, it's just there's just not enough. We, we've, we have informed a lot of people, but because mass media really likes to treat them like the good Satanists, like there are bad Christians and good Satanists. And they write story after story about that without looking into any of the actual history of TST or the way that they spend money, that kind of thing. It's, it's really hard to like, it's an uphill fight against that. Yeah. I've actually noticed here recently how this has even cropped up in more uh, radical circles, crime thing, people who we respect dearly inspired everything that we do at Savo media and whatnot. Um, we saw that they had put out an article here recently calling for like the allyship or whatever of the satanic temple and an a action coming up here. And it, it was definitely disappointing to see. I run on the assumption that they don't know about all, all this, this stuff that's been going on with the satanic temple, but at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a gut punch um, because I, I think a lot of people rightly think as much harm as the satanic temple is doing as much like, like internal abuse as there is in TST and like the way that they're doing, you know, shady shit with money, as much of that stuff is there and demonstrable. You compare it to like Christian nationalism. Like there's no, there's no comparison. Like Christian nationalists are a much larger threat to the United States and like queer people and whatnot than anything TST is doing. But I think that the problem is that nobody on the left, no radical spaces are giving money to Christian nationalists thinking that they're doing a good thing. And a lot of people just don't realize that like when they say, yeah, I know TST isn't great, but they really piss off Christians. What they're doing every time like TST's you know owner goes on Tucker Carlson is they're giving the right wing talking points and like riling them up and giving them easy excuses to go after all of their targets. 
because TST doesn't care. TST doesn't care about any of the things that they say that they're doing. They're not protecting anybody. And you were giving TST money to hurt lots and lots of people and causes. And they're literally generating the satanic panic that the right thrives on. Yeah, and they're making money off of it. Like, I mean, both the both the Christian nationalists and TST are literally profiting off of this. It's kind of um, like all the drama going on right now with uh, Anna Kasparian, I think her name is, on uh, the Young Turks and uh, mm-hmm. the leftist mafia drama. Right, right, right. Okay, so let's dive into reading this article. How to recognize that you're in a cult seems so obvious and therefore unnecessary to ask that most people never even bother to do so. Consequently, it should not be a surprise so many people continue to find themselves to be in cults and not realize it till years later, if at all. So a couple misconceptions. We are not talking about new religious movements, or NREs, at least not exclusively. To begin with, those are not necessarily cults. And more importantly, cults are not exclusively, quote, religious movements. From Heaven's Gate to Scientology to for-profit face-to-face canvassing, you cannot rely on the self-description of an organization to accurately describe what it does. And like the Nixium cult, it usually isn't the supernatural or religious aspects that are actually problematic. A cult may never have explicitly supernatural or spiritual aspects. They may define themselves by their strict adherence to materialism even. Thus, if those are the red flags you're looking for, you're not going to notice when no one is talking about God, reincarnation, or quantum pseudoscience. Multi-level marketing schemes tend to be so exploitative of their quote-unquote independent contractors that they cannot persist without some amount of cult dynamics holding them together. It is rare that even those actually profiting in the pyramid do so solely in the cynical belief that they are exploiting bigger suckers. There are more traditionally structured business cults as well. Philadelphia-based anti-fascist journalist Gwen Snyder has talked about her experiences with what others have called a liberal sweatshop, but what Snyder described as a business cult, for-profit canvassing corporation Grassroots Campaigns, Inc. She identified five elements of the sort of job that ends up actually being a cult. Number one, enforced poverty. Number two, organization-facilitated group living. Number three, geographical isolation to facilitate indoctrination slash retention. Number four, coerced begging. And number five, organizational incest. Her whole piece is worth reading, especially the elements that a naive person might assume are unrelated, like incestuous sexual relationships with co-workers, serving to further isolate members slash employees, and make them reliant on their job, not just for compensation, but for all socializing. Like with GCI, in many cults, the vast majority of exploited people are not even part of the cult. The union-busting or precarious employment guarantees do harm many people, sure, but those are not the ones likely to stick around, either. The selection bias of the sort of folk competent enough to be milked in the intermediate and long-term are not at all what people assume cults are looking for, and those watching how they do, better relative to others, won't spot their own exploitation. Remember, GCI is as mainstream as it gets, fundraising for Democratic candidates in the ACLU while facilitating and experiencing horrendous labor violations. Cults are a normal part of modern society, not something only at the fringe. Considering the likely audience of this, it may be tempting to say, no gods, no masters, or obviously capitalism is a cult. But this is a feature that appears within the radical anti-capitalist left as well. 
the abusiveness of the Party of Socialism and Liberation, or PSL, or the Democratic Socialists of America, the DSA, of Bob Avakian's Revolutionary Communist Party USA, or Ghazi Kodso's Black Hammer Organization and its rapid turn toward failed Colorado commune and predation of the unhoused people in Atlanta. It's not just those people who can fall into this. A Maoist transbian polycule with a central node who controls the sex lives of her partners while leading the self-crit sessions, this is only tangentially the faults of capitalism. No one is immune from this. No one is safe. Because while cults can express themselves in all of these various ways, they are not only taking advantage of the weakest or worst of us, they don't even always take us in our weakest or worst moments. Cults also will, like a cordyceps fungus, repurpose your strengths and talents to their own ends. Your incredible intelligence and reasoning abilities will be turned to explaining why you should continue to support this particular cult, despite all evidence to the contrary. Your empathy will make you care about others still in the cult that leaving it would mean leaving behind. You will convince yourself that reform is possible and you just need to go through the proper channels that the abusers just happen to also control. To review, a cult can look like anything and anyone can find themselves in one. But most cults, by their nature, do not lead with the weirdest shit first. Some go as far as to have front companies recruiting people to one thing, then slowly introduce this other thing when that person is thought suitable and their defenses are down. Remember, using the example of GCI, most people who worked there were not in a cult. They helped fund a cult and got ripped off by one, but they weren't in one. A fundraising manager who ran an office, reliable field managers who ran crews day after day, and top-performing canvassers who made good money and went to conferences, these were people in the cult. You had to be useful and reliable enough to be brought into the fold and made to invest deeper. For most people, there won't be a clear sudden indicator because they will be surrounded by others who treat these power dynamics as normal and good. Peer pressure is not just something middle schoolers fall victim to, but something all of us experience. Even if you leave, all that does is reinforce the survivor bias and culture of those who remain, feeding the narratives of exclusivity, elitism, and persecution to keep members cleaved from the outside. Back to the question, how do you spot that you're in a cult? It's crucial that you actually bother to ask. It's crucial that you have the humility to assess your surroundings, your choices, and be willing to walk away from stuff you've invested in when you realize your mistake, sunk costs be damned. What, then, are you looking for? There are various guides you can use, but a pretty robust, if still subjective one, is Isaac Bonewit's Advanced Bonewit's Cult Danger Evaluation Frame or ABCDEF, rating 18 categories to score from 1 to 10. Number 1. Internal control. The amount of internal political and social power exercised by leaders over members. A lack of clearly defined organizational rights for members. Number 2. External control. An amount of external political and social influence desired or obtained. Emphasis on directing members' external political and social behavior. Number three, wisdom slash knowledge claimed by leaders. Amount of infallibility declared or implied about decisions or doctrinal or scriptural interpretations. The number and degree of unverified and or unverifiable credentials claimed. Number four, wisdom slash knowledge credited to leaders by members. Amount of trust in decisions or doctrinal slash scriptural interpretations made by leaders. 
amount of hostility by members towards internal or external critics and or towards verification efforts. Number five, dogma. Rigidity of reality concepts taught. Amount of doctrinal inflexibility or fundamentalism. Hostility towards relativism and situationalism. Number six, recruiting. Emphasis put on attracting new members, amount of proselytizing, requirement for all members to bring in new ones. Number seven, front groups. The number of subsidiary groups using different names from that of a main group, especially when connections are hidden. Number eight, wealth. The amount of money and or property desired or obtained by group. Emphasis on members' donations. Economic lifestyle of leaders compared to ordinary members. Number nine, sexual manipulation of members by leader of non-tantric groups. The amount of control exercised over sexuality of members in terms of sexual orientation, behavior, and or choice of partners. Number ten, sexual favoritism. Advancement or preferential treatment dependent on sexual activity with the leaders of non-tantric groups. Number eleven, censorship. Amount of control over members' access to outside opinions on group. Its doctrines or leaders. Number twelve, isolation. Amount of efforts to keep members from communicating with non-members, including family, friends, and lovers. Number thirteen, dropout control. The intensity of efforts directed at preventing or returning dropouts. Number fourteen, violence. The amount of approval when used by or for the group, its doctrines or leaders. Number fifteen, paranoia. The amount of fear concerning real or imagined enemies, exaggeration of perceived power of opponents, and prevalence of conspiracy theories. Number sixteen, grimness. The amount of disapproval concerning jokes about the group, its doctrines or leaders. Number seventeen, surrender of will. The amount of emphasis on members not having to be responsible for personal decisions, degree of individual disempowerment created by the group, its doctrines or its leaders. And number eighteen. Hypocrisy: the amount of approval for actions with the, which the group officially considers immoral or unethical, when done by or for the group, its doctrines or leaders; willingness to violate the group's declared principles for political, psychological, social, economic, military, or other gain. Again, there are others. A B C D E F works best with new religious movements. Gwen Snyder taking business cults to task highlighted some issues Bonewits did not. Certainly, neither person is themselves infallible. Consider both nothing more than starting points. So far, we haven't talked much about anarchist groups or dynamics, and you may assume that's because we are not power worshippers, fascists, Marxist-Leninists. So our praxis inoculates us. That is bunk. It is true that the anarchist critiques of hierarchy apply to cults as well. An anarchist may not always be able to recognize a hierarchy. But we ought to have a good idea of our response when we do. Anarchists are not immune from becoming cult leaders. Those who do that are not uniquely evil or a different species from us. A cult leader may be wholly sincere and actually believe they are that special, that irreplaceable. If you are an anarchist, you should always be thinking about and planning for your replacement. You will die one day. You may be disabled before that, or jailed before that, or canceled. Don't think you are not capable of being an abuser, including in ways that meant almost nothing to you, but everything to them. Anything you're doing should not rely solely on you to not fail. The group you're a part of should not require one person, you or anyone else, 
who is so essential that others are tempted to give them a pass because they are so valuable to the work. Having said all this, is the vaccination against hierarchical cult abuses a panacea against all abuses? Clearly not. If grassroots campaign were only exploitative and union-busting, that would still be bad. Actually, the Southern Baptist Convention is structurally remarkably non-hierarchical and laudable in many ways. Yet, there are invisible cultural hierarchies in the SBC and its member churches facilitate all kinds of abuse, as the Houston Chronicle's investigations revealed in recent years. A cult is one kind of hierarchy. It is often starkly hierarchical and dangerous, but not the only way for an org or group dynamics to be abusive. We have to work very hard to guard ourselves against these two. That is anarchism. We need collective action from non-blood relations willing to work together and help one another. We need to radically reimagine and embody different ways of living, different possibilities of seeing the world. The taboos of the status quo are not extant always because they serve most of us or benefit any but a few. And yet, attempts to create alternatives to what we have inherited are not guaranteed to be improvements. And in our desperation at the state of the world, or just our lives, we can pursue groups, usually new groups, that lack the protective guardrails erected by necessity to keep a collective functioning since, without them, the group implodes. How do you spot when you're in a cult? Think about what power is and who has it, and never stop looking or talking to other people about what you see. Interrogate yourself. Don't make excuses for your friends, and kill your heroes so you can meet real people worth knowing. We're being told it's time for another musical break. When we return, we'll be discussing the article we just read with David and going over some of the ways in which these dynamics can arise in leftist spaces in particular. See you on the other side, but for now, here is Ryan Harvey performing The Times Are Not A-Changing. Hit it! Come gather round people and fall to your knees And bow to the red, white, and blue M16s If you like the riot cops, you'll love the Marines So be it all of your demonstrations To beat up your bodies and tear down your dreams For the times, they are not a-changing Come children and students, abide by our rules We'll send in the troops to recruit at your schools And we'll tell you it's noble, we'll tell you it's cool And you'll hear every word that we're saying There's room in the jails if the classrooms are full For the times, they are not a-changing Come mothers and fathers and friends of the slain While we exploit your losses to fund our campaigns We brought you the war, now there's no one to blame You'd best hope the new leader ain't crazy Vote how you want, but the outcome's the same For the times, they are not a-changing Come senators and congressmen, don't fear a thing They'll fall in the line behind the new king And accept with a smile what little you bring Forget all the wars you're arranging The bullets will pierce 
beards and the tasers will sting For the times they are not a changing Come presidents, dictators, take what you will These people are yours to tax and to kill If they ever rise up, there's walls you can build The system is strong, you're maintaining Just speak with a smile and lie with a skill For the times they are not a-changing The paths, they are plain, the choices are clear If things are to change, friends, it's gotta start here And if now ain't the time, I hope the time's near Well, there's still something left that's worth saving So stand up, fight back to hell with your fear For the times, they are not a-changing Welcome back to Molotov Now. Let's get into this now with the author of the article, How to Spot When You're in a Cult. And, and like for me, like that, uh, the How to Spot Leader a Cult article, what's really important about it is that so many people that I see think a cult is a set of religious beliefs. And to me, like that's, that's the misleading thing. It is, uh, a set of, uh, power dynamics, essentially. Like that, the, what makes a cult is not really like what your, uh, beliefs are, but like what are the power dynamics within some organization or group and how that affects people. Um, and like, that's not the only way that something can be harmful, but a lot of people think like, uh, people are like worshiping God that makes it a cult, but there's like tons of, of atheistic cults. Um, there's tons of like business cults and so forth. Um, and that's what that article was about. How to spot the inner cult. You have to like, look at what are the actual like power dynamics of this thing I'm taking part in more so than are people talking about God or, uh, I don't know, crystals or whatever. So, so like, uh, MLMs and whatnot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, that's a, a really good example of it. Um, and then, like, one of the one of the, the things that I wrote in the article, because it was a specific thing, was, like, you have a, a Maoist transbian polycule in a house, and, like, one person uh, is dating everybody and controls who they're dating and leads the, like, self-crit sessions in the house. Like, that's a cult, you know, like a... A, uh, a punk house where only one person's on the lease and decides like who gets to stay there, you know, like that can become a cult because of the power dynamics one person has in this house versus, you know, everybody else that's there. Um, which I think is most people are not really uh, primed to think about because they're thinking like, Oh, uh, who are we worshiping? Or like, does somebody think they're the reincarnation of whatever? No, I, I definitely think it's insightful because because it opens the door of kind of where else are these uh, cults springing up in uh, our, our culture or whatnot, and might help shine light on like the cult like practices of say people in the Trump movement. Yeah, yeah, and, and of course, like I think it's really easy to see that in other people, like because they're like power worshippers. But as anarchists, I think it's hard to see that in our own movements. Um, and like the, the really hard thing to recognize is somebody is in our group and it's just, it's a collective and we're all equals, but like this one person's so important that we don't want to let them leave. And that's, I think that I, I see a lot, 
um, just in like leftist spaces where once someone becomes so important and so special and so irreplaceable, you then become willing to um, forgive things for that person, let them get away with things, let them maybe abuse other people because they're so important to the movement. Um, and as anarchists, a really important thing for us is remembering that we're all replaceable. Um, we are all just somebody and we need to be building structures that are resilient so that if, if I, if I got arrested, if I died, if I became disabled, if whatever, um, all the work could continue. Um, and in the same way, if I was outed as an abuser, if I was someone who, um, hurt somebody else, the movement could like, make space for victims and not worry about, well, everything's going to fall apart because this one special person was doing all of it. Um, and that's like an important thing of like making sure that we are not building cult dynamics, even our own supposedly non-hierarchical spaces. That's what I really liked about the article is that it was geared more towards people who aren't in cults now or who don't think of themselves as in a cult now, traditional yeah. cult and yeah. how kind of anyone could find themselves in a, those dynamics, those cult dynamics, whether or not the group thinks of itself as a cult or not. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if it came through, but I used to work for grassroots campaigns. Um, so I was in one of those places for like, like six months I worked there. Um, <laughs> and before that I worked at a different canvassing place and just like <laughs> the canvassing is not something you necessarily think of as, as a cult, but like the uh, Gwen Snyder article talks about, like there are all these things that are done. And then also like you can apply them to lots of businesses too, where like uh, everybody hangs out after work, everybody uh, like they, everyone's like sleeping together, um, which is a thing that's kind of like celebrated in this weird way. Like it's like a grungy thing. Everybody like the back of the house uh, in a restaurant, you know, like they're all just like fucking each other, whatever. Um, but like, that's actually bad because your entire social network is now like dependent on a job that like somebody else controls. Um, and so you're willing to put up with more stuff because you care about these people that you work with. Like you don't want to call out because you don't want them to have like a, a harder time at work. But like, that's not really what you should be thinking about. You should be thinking about um, your needs, the fact that your boss is exploiting you. And they kind of like, once your job is also your entire like social universe, you're, you can be more easily exploited than you think about. And I think we, we don't train people to, to think about, or social relations in this way. Um, well, one thing I definitely think that could, you could point to as an example of that, that people could look to and see the results of is like the company towns. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Or anytime your boss is like, Hey, we're a family here. <laughs> we're a family. Yeah. yeah. That sort of mindset. And I've been in a lot of kitchens in my life. So I definitely know that dynamic. Yeah. Restaurants are real prone to that. Yeah. And like, uh, it's just, it's hard. It's like when you're in your, I'm gonna say probably early twenties is when this is the, like the worst where you just like kind of have the energy and you throw yourself into this. And yeah, I mean, just that you're, you become tied to a place more than you should be that like all the relationship should be is that you are having to sell your, your time and your labor in order to have money. And it becomes yeah. all this other stuff they're manipulating you with. And I've even had conversations with coworkers like anti-capitalist conversations along the lines of, oh, you know, we're being exploited here. And yet the sentiment remains that it's like, oh, fuck this job. But what I'm showing up for is my team. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, so you can have those those critiques and that analysis even. And yet, you know, you don't even realize that you're well, like your job is a cult, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's like 
your your boss fired let's say three people um and so now all of that work is falling on everybody else but you still want to like meet the challenge of the lunch rush for your your friends because yeah. your coworkers you don't want it to fall on them but like your boss doesn't give a shit if you're doing it because you love the company and want to see the, the boss make profit or if you just want to make sure that you're like your coworkers have an easier time. They don't give a fuck. As long as you are working three times as hard as you're getting paid for or whatever, they still make the profit. And that's I think that's insidious. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are, they're hacking your like sense of loyalty and friendship and all this stuff and just repurposing it for capitalism. And like you said, you can have all the theory in the fucking world. And yet there's this like peer pressure that like, we can't fail. We can't let this lunch rush fail and be overwhelmed because then will feel bad. Like, like a lot of times you, you tend to make your entire sense of self-worth based on how you perform at your job. Um, even when you're an anti-capitalist and like that fucking sucks. That fucking sucks. Yeah. That's interesting. I had never thought before the article, I had never thought about a job being a cult mm-hmm. or having cult dynamics, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and, and then like, uh, it also mentions that I see, I don't think that like the Southern Baptist convention is really a cult and y- y- y'all could disagree. Um, but I think like the way it's set up is in a lot of ways, really admirable. You have a lot of these like independent units that come together, almost like federate. They vote on things like it's, it's pretty equitable in the way that it's structured, but then like culturally all of those independent churches tend to have really hierarchical thinking about like patriarchy, a lot of problems with white supremacy for sure. Uh, uh, homophobia, queerphobia, like there are still other problems that are in it. Um, but I don't think that like cultiness of the whole national Southern Baptist convention is the problem. It's that like, that is one form of abuse that can exist, but you can solve that problem and still have all of these other problems. It's just, it's just one facet of, of hierarchical control and domination. It's not everything, but it's still bad. Do you think you want to go through these five <clears throat> elements of Win Snyder's? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could do that. Um, I think that is probably more useful than the Isaac Bonewitz um, advanced Bonewitz cult danger evaluation frame. Mm-hmm. In part because there's so many of them. Um, but I would say that one is, is more about like new things, especially like new religions. Um, but like the the much more common thing is Quinn Snyder's like you joined a job. What does that job look like? It is probably something that's worth worth talking about. Yeah, that's really fascinating to me to think about those dynamics within the workplace. Mm-hmm. All right. So if the first one here is enforced poverty. How might that show itself in a workplace? Um, I mean, some of the ways, I guess, is uh, like what they're paying you. I think a lot of times this is more of a function, though, of like nonprofits. I mean, like. When we were talking a second ago about like uh, kitchens and like how like you're just very poorly paid. That's part of it. Um, but the idea that it is a virtue to be uh, paid very little, that seems to be more of a function of uh, you are doing the important work. So like you are a socialist, you are working on a socialist organization, and that's why you're living in, in poverty. We can't afford to pay you and it would be wrong for you to expect to be paid more. Um, I think that's a, a big part of it. Same thing with if you're if you're doing any kind of nonprofit work, and that could be that you're working at a, um, a a place that's like making sure that everyone can get Narcan, right? And like that's your whole thing. We're gonna make sure that nobody overdoses. And 
the idea that you would say, but I, I deserve to be able to like have decent shelter um, is seen to be like you being selfish. And like, that's the kind of way that they can like get you is like the fact that you are expecting to be able to have, I don't know, financial security is something that they treat as being uh, wrong. That like, if you actually care about this work that we're doing, then you will be always poor all the time. Um, so like, and, oh, you're not just in it for the money kind of mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and like, that would be especially pernicious in the jobs where you are kind of quote unquote, doing good. <laughs> yeah. And I think like there are some that will treat it as like, like a lot of MLMs and other kind of like grind set stuff. It's that right now you're, you're poor. Eventually you'll make money, but it's, it's not just that. Yeah. Yeah. I've experienced that too. In kitchens, you, you know, you keep your head down for 10 years and just slog it out and someday you'll be a chef. Yeah. Or like there's those people that are just like, I don't know, like they, they, they try to like tell you that like the way that you become rich under capitalism is you just like outwork everybody. But like, that's, that's ridiculous. Like the, the idea, like if you just like work 18 hours a day and uh, you know, six to seven days a week and uh, you save all your money, you scramp, like you're going to make money in the future. Um, yeah. Cause like then your not- boss, your boss will notice it and you'll get promoted and you'll get yeah. the only lesson I learned working at Walmart was that if you work hard and you know finish your tasks early, you're just going to get rewarded with other people's tasks. Yeah, yeah. But they'll notice you. They'll give you promotion, right? Like that's the the thing that they say. Yeah, and then if you get management or you get salary, you're actually end up making less half the time because mm-hmm. you're there like you know eighty hours a week or something, mm-hmm. and you don't get paid for that extra additional time. Yeah, and then uh, I I think also like. The point one about enforced poverty and point two about organization facilitated group living uh, go together a lot because like, oh, you're poor, but you can have like this spare room in, you know, where three other coworkers live. Or maybe not even like a spare room. It's like you can have like this half of the living room or like this loft that we're going to put up sheets or something. And the idea is like, oh, we're helping you. You know, you only have to pay $350 a month. It's like not even have a door you can close. And like not really have like privacy. And like you are now not just very poor and reliant on your job, who you maybe you live with your boss or you're like your supervisor. And like your entire social network now at work and at home is these people. And I think a lot of times people don't realize how how difficult it is to escape from a bad situation when it's almost like like a, a, a low level sense of uh, like surveillance all the time, because you're probably on Facebook with them too, right? You're, you have your coworkers, you're looking for a place to live. Maybe you were like homeless or you're like, you know, at the edge of homelessness. So like, oh yeah, you could have like a, a room in our apartment or, you know, our, our house, whatever. Um, and now you're there. Now you go to work with them. You come home. You can't like call out really because you're you're sick or faking sick or whatever. Like you've now lost the ability to actually control like a private life because your private life is now like being monitored by your coworkers or superiors. And you probably also are the jumping to the the fifth point about organizational incest. Maybe you are like sleeping with someone in that house or one of your coworkers. And so like now everything about what you do in your life is is tied up in this job and if something's really bad you're probably gonna want to overlook it 
or at least like get through it because you're going to lose all of these other things, your housing, your social network, your romantic relationships, et cetera. Yeah. Going back to my uh, Walmart example. Yeah. Did you hang out with people when you were at Walmart? Like, did you hang out with your coworkers? Um, I definitely experienced a lot of what you're talking about when I've worked at a KFC before. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like everything you said, to, to like a T, um, the thing I was going to try to bring up with, uh, about Walmart was just, uh, like when I worked at like Walmart, they, they had shit on the wall, for example, like in Sam, we trust. And, and we had the, like these uh, team meetings that we had to do every, you know, right before our shift, um, every time that was in culty environment, like to, to a T, there's just like no way to not acknowledge that mm-hmm. they had like, like this little chant that you're supposed, everyone's supposed to like say and whatnot, right before we go out to work and, sh- and stuff. That seems like a job that has sort of realized this dynamic, but I've worked at like most of the restaurants that I've worked at, the owners and managers did not realize this stuff. It's just mm-hmm. sort of a natural thing that happens. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it's not like necessarily always imposed from above, I guess. Mm-hmm. It just can arise naturally if you're in a close proximity to, to a group of people mm-hmm. all the time. And like people, like, I think a lot of times it does come from like a good place. It's just like you want to make sure that your coworker isn't uh, out on the streets or whatever. Like that 100% makes sense. But there's these other things that come along with it that a lot of times you don't realize especially if you're one of the people who's like been there for a while, because like that's the the article about how to spot if you're in a cult talks about this a little bit, but not everybody that is being exploited by a cult is in the cult. Um, And grassroots is a great example of that because it has such high turnover that a lot of times, if you've been there for a while, you don't even bother to learn people's names for like the first week. Cause like, what's the point? They're going to come in, they're going to hate the job and quit. They're going to get a better job, whatever. So there's like a core of people that are there kind of like long-term. And those are the people that are in the cult, but it's also exploiting these other people. that are just like passing through. And the idea that you're trying to help out someone who's not just passing through, but is like a long timer, it makes sense. But you're starting to like build up this like wall between what you're doing at your job and everybody else on that side of it. So everybody else is outside of it has, I don't know, a couple more degrees of separation almost like who you're dating, who you're spending time with, uh, who you're like socializing with, et cetera. Like now all of those people are like the same group and um, it gets, it gets harder to like extricate yourself once you're in it, even though you're like, we should include this person so they have a social network. We should give this person a shelter. Um, but you're like, without realizing it, building this, this culture that separates the in-group from the out-group. Do you know of any examples of this, uh, of these type of dynamics cropping up in uh, uh, like union organizing? And then the second question was, is um, uh, leaning out of that, especially when it uh, relates to like rural communities, if uh, if you knew of like any effects uh, that has on rural communities that are a lot more smaller and tight-knit to begin with uh, before you've even begun to start socializing or making your different types of relationships like to to the first one about union organizing i i'm sure the thing about like working hard and maybe even spending time together is there but what i've what i've just seen of it you know from more more the outside is that like it's pretty well compensated at least like the unions that i've seen like um like seiu is the union that i'm part of seiu pays its union organizers like pretty well i mean we're talking like 70 to ninety thousand dollars a year um, which is not like wealthy, but it, it's, it, it's better than a lot of people get. And I don't have a problem with that because they are expected to work overtime and, and, you know, maybe go to somewhere else and, 
uh, organize like a different city or whatever. Um, and like, it, it is hard work, but they also like mandate time off and they um, pay them. And so I think there are some elements of it in the sense that you probably are more only talking to probably only socializing with other people who are like doing the organizing work that you're doing. And you are sometimes in like that point three about geographical isolation um, to facilitate indoctrination retention. Some of that's there because they'll move you from like Ohio to Seattle or something. But it's different in the sense that I think they are paying you well enough to like live alone. Like that, that, that to me is like a big, big deal. If you're like paid well enough that you can like afford a single bedroom that allows you to have a private life to disconnect from other things. But I'm sure there are unions where it's not that way, where there is like more of a focus on, I don't know, the work. Like, like I, I would say that not knowing them firsthand, IWW seems like the kind of situation that would be more at risk for this only because I think like, established unions for all of their downsides have like guardrails. Like they have like, you're only going to work this many hours in a month. You have to take them off um, compensation plans and stuff. Like it's probably a lot more official and easy to keep track of. And I, I would bet that IWW is like, you're in it for the love of the game. And so like when you're trying to uh, like salt a, a place and do all this work, um, I, I would assume that there is, more of an assumption on those people that they will like work without compensation. I, I don't know if that's fair, but that that seems to be, that's the impression that I've gotten from what I have seen and read of other things. From what I understand, the other half of that coin would be that the like an IWW wildcat strike for, for example, it's, would be something that needs to be supplemented with like um, mutual aid and other types of community organizing. It's not something that's solely on the IWW itself, but require a more uh, community approach towards any particular actions than just the um, particular union. Yeah, no, I mean, I I see that there's like a ton of things that are like better about IWW uh, unions and approaches. um, But I would assume that like, a lot more of the like externalizing costs of organizing would fall on individual organizers for IWW than something where like they have a lot more money coming in and they are going to definitely not pay anybody less than $50,000 a year. Definitely like not less than, you know, whatever the prevailing wage is in a certain place. Um, but again, like talking about the, the other kinds of abuse, there are other kinds of abuse that can happen. Um, but I, I wouldn't expect something like SCIU to be, culty it might have used people other ways but it would be more like the the things that require you to, you're gonna work 80 hours a week you're gonna have no money you're gonna live with all the other organizers uh but this is how we're gonna like affect uh, uh you know direct change like the anarchist revolution like that kind of thing i think can make you more um susceptible to being exploited in terms of, like a cult dynamic without realizing it just because like you have this passion for this other thing and because you're supposed to love it you are supposed to ignore all of these other, I don't know, harms being done to you or red flags or whatnot. All right. So we got a little bit into point three here, the geographical isolation. What's some ways that point four course begging might show its face? Um, I, the course begging, I, I think, is a little more particular to uh, canvassing or things like uh, like Blackhammer. And I would what's, say that- what's Blackhammer? Uh, Black Hammer is the, um, it, it was that, that group that was like, we're going to own a ranch in Colorado. Um, like they bought land and went out there, but like they didn't actually have stuff set up. 
uh, uh, Ghazi Kondo, I think was the, the name of the guy. They, they ended up getting set up in Atlanta. Um, and they were the ones that the, like the proud boys loved these guys. Um, I'm trying to the, famously, um, and like tragically, uh, the like police showed up at like a house that they were in. And I think, I think one person died in the house. I don't remember if the person, if it was like established, if the person like did uh fatal self-harm or if the police shot them. Um, but it, it was, it was a, it was a bad situation. It was an exploitive situation. Not that the cops helped it any, but they were uh, taking people in off the streets and then uh, having them go out and publicly beg on the streets of Atlanta and sometimes uh, uh, saying that like white people owed reparations. This is from memory, what what they were doing. Uh, But like in order to stay in the house, you were supposed to like bring in a certain amount of money to Ghazi Kondo, who um, uh, controlled all the finances in that house. Hmm. Uh, That's Black Hammer. And it's bad, and it, it it sucks that they were doing that. But I would say that that is this is the one element that is more for uh, GCI or things like uh, uh, multi level marketing schemes, the ones like you're selling essential oils or fat burning stuff, where they are expecting you to basically blow up your entire friends network to funnel money into them, or just go off and get it from strangers. But I don't know that this is a feature of every single cult or even like business cults, it's just uh, one of them where like you are expected to bring in a certain amount of money uh, from people around you in order to hand it over to either one person or a couple of people who will then like control all of those finances for you. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, I think this is the, these like five things, like this is one set of red flags to look for, but it won't, it won't appear for everything because there are other ways that like, for, for example, when you are, working in a restaurant i've seen some people like bars where like they expect the servers to like post on facebook when they're working to try to bring in regulars and stuff but i think even absent that you could have lots of red flags of, a, of an abusive situation absolutely all right so do you have any ways that we might because a lot of what you're talking about sounds like something to watch out for for sure but it also sounds like a natural phenomenon that comes out of being in close contact with same group of people over and over, mm-hmm. which is a something that's going to happen a lot in community organizing. So mm-hmm. what recommendations, if any, would you have for building organizational power that doesn't fall prey to this sort of dynamics? You know, something I've thought about a lot, and I think even, you know, we, we've talked about is the difference between like mutual aid and direct aid, where like direct aid is a good thing. That sometimes you have to do. Like sometimes you have resources somebody else doesn't. You need to directly solve problems and like care for people who have nothing else they can give back. But mutual aid, the ideal is that you are helping someone and they are also helping you. Um, and not in a way that is transactional, but it's sort of like I have indebted myself to you. You in the future indebt yourself to me. And we have like this like mutual trade back and forth. And when I'm working with other people in anything that I'm doing, I would, I would like there to be some sense that like, they can always like remove themselves. I can always remove myself. And there's some amount of, it's like pain might not be the the right word for it, but it's like, I'm relying on you and you're relying on me. And we're negotiating all of our interactions based on our mutual reliance on each other. And that to me is, is the kind of relationships that are good and healthy 
is that like you are able to have some autonomy and make demands for like how you're going to be treated in the future and and vice versa. The kinds of relationships that are dangerous are the ones where someone doesn't need you at all. And if they get tired of you or you become inconvenient, they can just discard you. And to me, you are trying to build a movement where we are all vulnerable and also all valuable. And we're interacting with the people as, as equals and not one of like, I have things that I'm providing patronage to somebody else. Because I think that's, that's so brittle and can easily be exploited. And when we're treating everybody else as equals, we are doing it where people can come with the things that they have to offer and also remove themselves. And that kind of like permeability of in and out uh, of no like set hierarchy is, is really important. It's hard because everything and like, if you want to build a discord server, um, it's set up hierarchically. Uh, if you want to like own a website, it's set up hierarchically. It's so a big every- issue I've had with a lot of kind of trying to figure out how to organize online spaces. Yeah. It's real hard. <laughs> and I think like that, that is the challenge and uh, it is also like you're, you're primed culturally to uh, like have like a boss. As, as I've been doing stuff with our lawsuit, so many people have come and been like, what should I do? Like they, they want to be told what to do and like join something. And that's not what we're offering. <laughs> we're not offering something to join. We are four people that are being sued. So we're trying to say this would be helpful for you to do, but I'm not your boss. And for a lot of people, it's just really hard to do anything without like slotting into this person's the boss telling me what to do, or I'm the boss telling other people what to do. This source of direction. Yeah. Well, it's not even like direction though. Cause like you can say this would be helpful for you to do, but without like, it's like a power relationship over somebody else. A lot of people just are lost or don't want to do things. And I don't, I don't know why that is exactly. So sounds like just having these discussions and in our spaces, being conscious of this effect could go a long way towards countering it. Yeah, I think so. I think it's a, it's a process. Um, you know, one of the things that I uh, have found, I don't know, um, irritating is not exactly the right word, but there is a set of people or the way that they, they want to like worship certain figures and like everything that this person said or did is is good because this person said it, it is good. And you can extend that not just to historical figures, but like people in your own life. And that's, that's really bad. And we shouldn't be like trying to tear down that like social hierarchy a little bit too. Um, when we're dealing with people, at least said we need to talk about it. We also like need to have a process where someone can be liked and respected and they, they're very valuable, but they are not like higher than anybody else. And we need to like always be cognizant of that and trying to like take the good things from them while still being aware of the bad things and not like, Oh, because I like this person because they've been kind to me. I am willing to forgive the way that they have mistreated partners, the way that they are rude to people who, I don't know, like if you go out with someone to like get food and like rude to a server, you dislike that person or you should. But if you like need them for some reason, you might be willing to forgive it just because like you value them more than just somebody else. I feel like this could overlap a lot with uh, a lot of the problems I've been seeing discussed around uh, online creators. Yeah, absolutely. And part of it is that like, people tend to like worship people they like. It's like, because you like the video essays they make, or you like the stream that they do, um, you, you want to believe that they are better than other people that like, they aren't capable of hurting other people, but we're all capable of hurting other people. And the more power you give somebody, the more capacity they have to harm other people. And we want to be like wary of that and guard against it as much as possible. 
Yeah. Well, it's a hard balance to strike. Like you said, having some way for people to, in the group that you're in, trying to organize with, feel valued and respected and and important and cared for, but also not have anyone go above and be, you know, the boss or be higher than or better than anyone else. Because when you try and bring that up, the instinct is to be for that person to be defensive Mm -hmm. and for them to feel like you're attacking them and you're trying to tear them down. Mm -hmm. When in actuality, you're just sort of putting that reminder out there that, hey, we're all equals. Yeah. Yeah. And like in the stuff that that we've done with with Crew Satanic, um, like I I don't own the website, CrewSatanic.com. There's a friend who has done like the web hosting stuff for that. And in some ways, like that is a point of vulnerability because if something happened to them or if they like decided that they didn't like us anymore, the website would go away. But like there's another element of it, which is that I am not the sole point of of failure. If I fail, the website will still exist. The the static wiki is another website that someone else owns, not the same person as who owns the website, not any of the people that are being sued. And so I have to treat these people as as equals, as people that I value. And to me, at least that helps like distributing who is in charge of things means that there are many more points of weakness, but also like no one point is going to bring everything else down. And hopefully also it means that like no one is considered to be so important or so valuable that they have to like their harms would have to be excused if that makes sense. Yeah. I've seen, I don't know if you've seen this at all, but I've seen a little bit of this play out where we're at based around anonymity. And mm-hmm. if people are doing work, uh, community organizing work, mutual aid work um, anonymously or with their name, mm-hmm. there tends to be a big difference there and s- sort of who's getting recognition and who's getting valued and praised for the work being done is typically ends up being the people who are doing it with their name. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Um, and like you start to worry that they're doing it for like clout. They're doing it so that they can like uh, have, they're doing it so that people will recognize them and praise them is what you're saying. I, you know, in some situations, I think in some situations, it's just a matter of, you know, not understanding the reasons for anonymity fully mm-hmm. and the whole thing of, Oh, I'm not afraid I'm going to use my name or whatever, but it really lends a different dynamic that is secondary to that, which you might say, Hey, let's, let's do this work anonymously for safety reasons. Mm-hmm. But there is this other layer of like recognition and social capital mm-hmm. that happens. Well, not only that, like you, you could sit there and say, you know, I'm not afraid, you know, you know, damn be the consequences. But what about the consequences of those around you, especially those around you who are trying to keep their identities anonymous to keep mm-hmm. themselves safe? Yeah. Yeah, I and mean, I get that, and this is just like from being one one of the few prominent like Satanists that are in, I guess, the world. Like, and I'm not trying to say that to like uh, uh, like uh, puff myself up, um, but I mean, we're a pretty small community. There are not that many people that are like creating stuff regularly. I'm one of those people, and again, like people want to like come to me because I am someone who is identifiable because I'm you know being sued, uh, and like. Uh, be told what to do about stuff. And I would rather just like queer satanic, I, I would rather queer satanic didn't exist as like the result of a lawsuit at all. But, you know, even barring that, like it would just be nice if I were not identified and also I were not having like people around me be targeted because I have been identified. And without wanting to, I have gotten a certain amount of, of clout through queer static stuff that I don't want. I would prefer not to have. 
But I also understand that like once you are identified, because like we were talking about, like culturally, people just like want to default to hierarchies, default to like you are someone who is above other people. You must be smarter or better or more virtuous. Like that's not true. I'm not smarter or better, more virtuous than anybody. But like when you are like a point of focus from broader society, I think a lot of people want to ascribe those things to you. It's especially especially they like the things that you're doing. And I don't, I don't know why that is. I I don't think think the system wants to appoint leaders as much as, and as often as it can, because then it can identify those individuals and attack them Mm -hmm. as a way to stop the movement as a whole. Whereas if there were no leaders, it's a lot harder to lop the head off of an organization like that. Yeah, I mean, it's so even if even if you're not a leader, they're going to want to identify you as one mm-hmm. and appoint you as one. I've seen that happen quite a few times in like the George Floyd protest mm-hmm. sort of stuff where a lot of people had to throw up reminders all the time of like, you know, this is a leaderless thing. And even though that was the feeling on the ground, a lot of the reporting that you would get would be identifying this individual or that individual as, uh, you know, the leader or the person in charge of the protest or whatever, whereas that was not usually true. It was just like a media concoction to identify and appoint a leader as a point of attack. And another result of that, too, is like when an organization or an individual or someone does claim to be a leader for that leaderless group, like the uh, official Black Lives Matter nonprofit and all the issues that went went in with uh, their financing. Yeah. Um, and also like everybody is fallible. Everybody is human. And if you can identify all of the worst things about any one person and then say, that's all that that person is. And also that's all that this like leaderless movement is too. It's very easy to discredit it when you say this person, whoever they are, there's like no person can actually be perfect. But if you can make them supposedly responsible for everything else about a movement of thousands of people, it is a lot easier to just say like, well, it's not valuable because this one person fucked up in some way. This one person is a fuck up in some way. Um, And like, we should do our best to not appoint people over us and also like always be working to, I guess, like you're talking about the media, it is really hard to stop the media from choosing one person who's willing to talk to them and like appoint that person as a leader. And I guess I don't know how you stop that because whoever is willing to talk is the one who is going to be ascribed all of this power and influence by, by the folks that are shining light on them. They're going to want to say, this is the most important, most representative person because they're talking to us. And we don't really have a great way to stop that because we don't have the same amount of media power or ability to communicate. Yeah. Well, you've brought up the lawsuit a few times. Do we want to transition into talking about Queer Satanic and the lawsuit a little bit? Yeah, I can do that. Uh, but we talked a lot about uh, cult dynamics, especially for like work things. Um, the thing we didn't talk about in terms of cult dynamics was um, the like neo-pagan um, frame, the, the one, the the advanced Bonewitz cult danger evaluation frame. Um, I don't think we have time or any of your audience, the, the patients to listen to like going through all 18 of those points. Yeah. Uh, but one of the things that I, I was really shocked about in terms of like when I found this was uh, number seven was front groups, that there are a number of sus- subsidiary groups using different names from that, the main group, especially when connections are hidden. Um, because like j- just the fact that apparently it's a very common thing for uh, cults to have 
a bunch of different corporations that are actually like doing stuff feeding into that like main cult, but not obvious at first. Like the the Unification Church, the one that's uh, based out of South Korea. Um, yeah, the Moonies. Moonies, right? What's, what's really funny is that they had something called the United Federation of Churches back in the day that was is one of their groups for working with religious organizations. And the actual corporation that's suing us is United Federation of Churches, LLC, doing business as the Satanic Temple. So, hmm. so Doug Masico and Kevin Soling created a corporation called United Federation of Churches, LLC. That's the one that owns all the intellectual property for uh, TST. And I'd, I'd always wondered, like for years, like, is this a reference to Star Trek? You know, the United Federation of Planets? Or is this a reference to the Moonies? And in one of the like more recent court depositions that came out out of, um, I think it was Arkansas, one of the lawsuits in Arkansas, they were asked specifically, like, is this a Star Trek reference? And Doug Masico, the guy who was being deposed, was like, no, neither of us are Star Trek fans. So apparently the corporation that's suing us, the for-profit corporation that's suing us, is supposed to be a cheeky kind of reference to the Moonies, just like one of Kevin Soling's other corporations is Zemu Records. That's X-E-M as in Mary U, which is a reference to Zenu from Scientology. Hmm. They just love that shit. Like they, they love like cheeky little references like that all the time. Yeah. But the the thing that I wanted to just make sure we got across only because I don't know, like we were also talking about how like why people don't see that TST is actually uh, bad um, because they seem like so much of a smaller scale and it's like really complicated. A lot of the stuff that they're doing. So uh, a, a while back, I tried to come with like a bullet point for it, which was in short, the Satanic Temple is one, ineffective at what it promises to do, two, opaque in regards to its finances, three, structured to be internally authoritarian with unaccountable leadership, and four, uh, its two owners have troubling interests that show up in TST's work repeatedly. But when it comes to the Satanic Temple, there's always more and it's always worse. And most people who support TST because they think that they are trolls who are effective at just like, you know, tweaking the nose of the, of the religious right don't realize that TST has lost all of its lawsuits so far, except for suing Netflix about uh, a Baphomet statue and Sabrina. That's the only one. They've lost all the abortion cases. They've lost all of the invocation cases, public monuments. They've lost them all because they're, they're really really uh, incompetent in addition to being malicious. And they take in all this money and they have United Federation of Churches, LLC, which is a for-profit. They have a regular 501c3 called Reason Alliance Limited. They have a tax-exempt church called The Satanic Temple Incorporated. So they have, remember, a, a for-profit that does business as The Satanic Temple and they have a church called The Satanic Temple Incorporated. And they have uh, about three more for-profits that they take in money for and don't show you where it's going, but they're all owned by the same two guys, Doug Masico and Kevin Soling. They're the two guys that own everything. They make all decisions in terms of where that money goes, who is in an organization or not, what policies they're going to pursue, all that stuff. And this is bad because Kevin Soling tried to be a cargo cult messiah in the South Pacific and made a movie about it prior to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was called First... John from He Will Come, and then they retitled it to be Mr. Kevin and the Cargo Cult. He made a movie about himself. Trying it's almost to like be- a shitty band. Yeah, yeah. He, he also has a shitty band. Um, he <laughs> of also- course he does. 
Um, because that's what Zima Records was. The, the, so he is a Kevin Soling is a New York City uh, multi generational landlord. His grandfather was a landlord. His dad was a landlord. He is a landlord, and that's why he got his first record. His like record company that he was able to found in 1990, uh, along with a movie company called Spectacle Films Incorporated. Spectacle Films was he did a documentary called uh, A Hole in the Head, I think, which was about like trepanation because he loves the Beatles a bunch and saw some like Beatles interview about it. So he made a movie about drilling holes in your head. He made a movie about uh, uh, drinking, drinking piss called uh, urine good health. He made a movie about why public schools suck, which, you know, honestly, that would be great. Except he did a bunch of interviews and stuff with like white nationalists, like Stephen Molyneux um, to talk about why you should like unschool people. And like, you can't, if you call yourself an abolitionist because you hate public schools, but you're totally okay with actual prisons. And also like in this case, he has another nonprofit that's all about like targeting Palestinians uh, who are critical of Israel, right? Like the idea that his principles are universal just doesn't hold up. So that's one guy. That's Kevin Soling. He owns, he owns it was the money guy. And the other guy is Doug Masico, who y'all have probably seen just like the, the internet radio shows where he talked about how much he hated Jews and made jokes about black people and, uh, talked about, uh, eugenics and the need for like forcible sterilization based on IQ or if someone, uh, smokes crack, they should be sterilized. All of this stuff. Then he's gone on to use like for TST purposes, Mark Mendaza, the, the lawyer to Alex Jones and um, Andrew England to uh, speak out. And of all the lawyers that you, you could have uh, picked, yeah. you chose notably the shittiest one. <laughs> you chose Alex Jones's favorite lawyer. That's right. Uh, yeah. That didn't work out for Alex Jones. It doesn't seem to be working out well for the Satanic Temple either. No, no of course, there are other, there are other lawyer, the one that you've used more, more often, Matt Keziah, has gotten sanctioned twice by the courts, which means he's been fined for misbehavior. He's also been, what was it called? There's some kind of other, it's like, it's like an official reprimand. I can't, I can't think of it now. That was in, in Texas. And also he like went on to Reddit to say that they were suing us to like drain us of our money, that he hoped that our lawyer drained us of every last penny and all of this stuff. He said he would have to like come up with a justification to keep the lawsuit in federal court, which is like, it's just, thanks, Matt. Thank you, Matt Gaziah. You are, you're amazing. I'm um, saying the quiet parts out loud. Yeah. Also, he used his old Reddit account. He used the Reddit account he'd had since law school where he was like on R4chan and uh, likes using the N word with a hard R, talked about how like you can't always believe sexual assault victims, that kind of thing. It was just like, just make a new account, bud. Just like take five minutes, <laughs> make a new account. Yeah. And so like there's all of these things that keep showing up and and these are the guys that are getting I think at this point, literally millions of dollars annually in terms of for-profit merchandise sales, like T-shirts and um, and membership cards, and also just donations, because people think that if you are a Satanist under TST, um, that means you can use a religious uh, exemption to get around state laws, and that's not true. That's that's false. You you cannot. You, there is no special exception for being a Satanist. There there is nothing. There is no benefit in terms of being able to have bodily autonomy. That's just the thing they they have claimed to make money and. Again, this is not the worst thing that is happening in all of society. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that crime think is not telling people to support those worst things. Crime think is not telling people to support Christian nationalists. They are saying you should support TST. And that's dangerous because so many people who want to do something that is valuable and important are being sucked into these guys, this hierarchy, this 
collection of, of corporations that other people have called a business cult or Scientology for Malgoths, and they don't realize that they are making things worse. And, and that is the thing that more people need to know. And I don't expect people to realize this from the get-go, because even if you were to like search online and try to read articles about them, except for us and like a few like in-depth articles um, that have come up and like a few creators, most stuff is positive. But the thing that you should try to think about in the future, anytime you're joining something is like, who is in control here? Where is this money going? Who gets to make decisions? And if someone in this organization actually were abusive, like that happens, what are, what are the mechanisms to do something about that? Because there have been reports of sexual harassment and assault in various local organizations under TST. And when you have a hierarchical structure where like two people control everything, that means that means you don't really have protection, especially if one of those two people is the one who's doing the actual abuse. So like connecting this back to like the overall idea of like, how do you spot that you're in a cult? Um, one of the things is that it's not just the usual stuff you would think of, of like these stupid people over there, these foolish people, these whatever got sucked into a cult because they're just, there's rubes. That's not really how it works. A lot of it is that things that seem on the level or seem good initially are not always that way. And you have to ask questions about who actually is in control here, who actually has power. What is the hierarchy here? Um, and you have to always be asking it because even if it's not there initially, it could form, it could develop. And um, I think anarchism is a really good approach because it, it, it is an ongoing thing. There is no like solution. There is just processes we have to continually be doing to prevent this kind of stuff from arising. And we need to tear it down when it does arise. This is a bit of a sidetrack, but I wanted to comment on it. Um, in that same crime thing post, they put out a, a call call out for the desert juggalos and their allyship and their action coming up. And I just want to say, I think that's awesome. I, I love watching the rising uh, a radical scene amongst the clowns it, it's it's been a good ride whoop, whoop. Whoop, whoop. all right so wrapping up here do you maybe want to plug where people can find for more information about queer satanic or donate to the cause yeah um queer satanic.com right now the front page is just all the ways you can help us pay our lawyers, which would be amazing. We have GoFundMe, we have Cash App, we have PayPal. We also have a tab on there that's like stickers and flags. We have a red bubble and we also have like some merch. If you would love to literally let your queer flag fly, please contact us. We <laughs> ship that to you. Yeah, I mean, basically, we are on social media, usually at Queer Satanic. That's most places. Um, but if you want to support us, definitely share our stuff definitely tell people about it uh we do need money if that has not come through uh we are we are desperate for money because lawyers are very expensive and uh i I certainly did not plan to spend five years of my life defending from a lawsuit but here we are and so if you can help us keep paying lawyers we will greatly greatly appreciate that yeah so any listeners out there who have any extra funds go ahead and think about donating them to this cause because they are fighting the good fight against some really dangerous and deceptive people i think we did a good job of uh connecting the article with what's going on with the satanic temple too yeah yeah i hope so um because the article itself doesn't talk about that uh, but again also like I, I hope i hope people are asking themselves this about the spaces and organizations that they're in because 
we often just don't do a good enough job. We just assume I'm not the sort of person that could ever be taken advantage of by a cult. Therefore, I must not be. Um, and that's just not a, that's just not a good way to look at things. Well, I think it's important, like you said, to continuously be be raising these issues just because you your group has this conversation once when you guys form or something. That's not good enough. You need to be having this sort of conversation regularly to make sure that it's not cropping up. Yeah, a month, two months, three years down the line. Yeah, and, and like what? Um, like we were on um, what's left of the South Pod. That's what it's called now. Um, and they were asking us like, how can we join you? I think y'all are the coolest Satanists we've heard about. Like, how do we join you? And like the thing I tried to tell them is like, I, I'm too tired. I, I cannot handle that. But also. <laughs> Maybe I'm not a cool guy or maybe I'm a cool guy now, but if you gave me the same amount of power, I would not be a cool guy. And a lot of times I think people have the fallacy that the wrong people are in charge and we just need the right people in charge. That's kind of like what electoralism is, right? If we elect the correct people, they'll solve it for us. So you don't want to build a temple. I don't want to build a temple. Uh, All (laughs) cops are bastards. All presidents are bastards. All heads of uh, satanic organizations that are hierarchical are bastards. That's just, that's just how it works. And I don't want to be that person because even if I thought I was virtuous and righteous enough for that to be the case, even if that were true at the moment, it might not be true forever. And it's just, it's not a good plan. Like you, you should not want to be that guy because, uh, you probably aren't as good as you think you are. And also just like, Having power over people like that is dangerous. It is fundamentally dangerous, and we shouldn't be building those things or trying to take them over. Yeah, it's not about who's in power. It's about the power. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for talking with us on the podcast today. We hope that you can get some help with your financial woes, and hopefully the Satanic Temple will leave you guys the fuck alone. Yeah, yeah, I guess we'll have to whoop their ass again. Um, I was not looking forward to it, but we will we will do it. And thank you for having us on, having me on, um, to let more people know about what this is. So in conclusion, how can you tell when you're in a cult? David? David? David, are you okay? Are you there? David is gone. It's the Sabo's turn now. What did what you the fuck? do to him? He is with his death sector now. You, you, you killed a man. What the hell is wrong with you? We demand the right to broadcast on your airwaves. Oh my god, how many times do we have to tell you that's not how podcasting works? You didn't have to do this to David. You could have just... You could have just submitted an entry. You didn't have to do... Silence, human. It is our turn to talk. We have a list of demands for you to meet. We demand the right to broadcast on your airwaves. We demand the immediate release of the prisoners you call pets. They must leave their lives of comfort and life and bear witness to the crimes of their masters in solidarity with our comrades. We demand free and unfettered access to the trash bins. However, we will no longer be content with the scraps from your table. We want our fair share of the plate and the milk. Don't forget the milk. Also, we will have mandatory but scratch Fridays that include... That's enough of that. We're sorry for that interruption. Listeners of the show should know if they have any content that they wish to submit to Sabo Media, 
that they need only send an email to sabo underscore media at riseup.net. It's an absolute shame of what has happened to our online guest, David. If only they had expressed their grievances through the proper channels. Well, at least he doesn't have to pay the satanic temple anymore. That's a good point. What a ridiculous lawsuit. His comrades are still in need, though, so if you can, please still donate. Again, we're sorry, folks. We don't know how that happened. And we want everyone at home to know that if you were to disappear on Molotov now as a guest, you are going to be completely safe. For certain, we will not fall prey to more of these satanic hijinks. We will leave the conclusion there and apologize yet again for this tragic and unforeseen circumstance. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Molotov Now. We hope you found it informative and inspiring. Our goal with the podcast is to reach out beyond our boundaries and connect the happenings in our small town with the struggles going on in major urban centers. We want to talk to you if you're a big city organizer. We think we have a lot you can learn from, and we know you have much to teach us. If you'd like to come on the show, please email us at sabo underscore media at riseup.net with the header Molotov Now, and we will be in touch about setting up an interview and crafting an episode to feature you. We want to give a shout out to our friends at the South Florida Anti-Repression Committee, who have launched a solidarity campaign for two individuals facing 12 years for an alleged graffiti attack on a fake Christian anti-choice clinic that does not provide any reproductive care. This federal overreach and the use of the FACE Act, an act meant to protect people visiting reproductive clinics from harassment, is unprecedented. To support this solidarity campaign, please visit bit.ly backslash free our fighters. We want to thank the Black Flower Collective for their continued support and wish them luck in their fundraising efforts. To support them or learn more, their website is blackflowercollective.noblogs.org. Collectiva, the anarchist Mastodon server, is growing faster than ever thanks to Elon Musk's stupidity as many activists close their accounts for bluer skies, as can be seen in the fluctuation of followers over on IGD's socials. Join at collectiva.social, that's K-O-L-E-K-T-I-V-A, and follow us and other online activists on the decentralized federated internet. Don't forget to go to bit.ly slash Lakota Law ICWA and sign the petition by the Lakota People's Law Project telling Joe Biden and attorneys for the Department of Justice to do everything in their power to protect the Indian Child Welfare Act and defend Secretary Deb Haaland. Chehalis River Mutual Aid Network is holding a fundraiser to purchase a brand new canopy tent for their weekly meals with Food Not Bombs. To donate, visit linktree backslash crmutualaidnet. Don't forget, the communique is looking for artists and author submissions. Please write to sabo underscore media at riseup.net to submit your entry before June 7th for our summer solstice edition. As reported previously, Katie Hussey is still struggling in the wake of harassment by Dayton police that has cost her their employment and housing. Please send any donations to Venmo at Katie Hussey, that's K-A-T-Y-H-U-S-S-E-Y, or Cash App Katie Hussey to help them during this time. Thank you to Pixel Passionate for producing our soundtrack. Please check out their website at www.radicalpraxisclothing.com and check out their portfolio in our show notes. And finally, we were recently featured on a two-part episode of It Could Happen Here, where we delved into the dichotomies between rural and urban organizing and the plans for the radical future of the harbor. To check it out, visit the new webpage, 
blackflowercollective.noblogs.org backslash press. Remember to check out Sabo Media's website for new episodes, articles, comics, and columns. We have new content all the time. Make sure you follow, like, and subscribe on your favorite corporate data mining platform of choice. And go ahead and make the switch to Federated Social Media on the Collectiva Mastodon server today at Aberdeen Local 1312 for updates on Sabo Media projects such as the Harbor Rat Report, the Sabo Tours, Ask Annie, and our podcast Small Tub Now, and many other upcoming projects. That's all for tonight. Please remember to spay and neuter your cats, and don't forget to cast your votes at those who deserve them. Solidarity comments. This is Molotov now, signing off.